Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 187. Today's big Bible question, can a divided house stand? We're also going to be talking about, is Beelzebub Satan? So, hello, friends. Happy Thursday to you. Rejoice with me. If you've been following us from the beginning, we have passed one half of the year reading the Word of God together. Yesterday, July 1st, marked our halfway point. Six more months of daily podcasting to go. So this is my first attempt ever to do a daily podcast, and I've immensely enjoyed it. Uh, Thank you for participating on this journey, especially those of you guys that have been around for a while, and those that have left reviews, which is awesome. Thank you. And those, check out the website, BibleReadingPodcast.com. You guys are great. Today's Bible readings include Joshua chapter 4, Psalm 129 through 131, Isaiah 64, and Matthew 12, the home of our focus passage. Most people in America associate the phrase house divided with Abraham Lincoln because he famously used it in a speech from the 1850s where he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half-slave and half-free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. But I do expect it will cease to be divided. It will become all one thing or all the other. Though used in that context by Lincoln, it's clear that he was not promoting unity at any cost. Rather, he was suggesting that the central issue facing the Union, slavery, had to be resolved in order for the House to not be divided. Unity built on compromise of moral or biblical principles will always be untenable. Now that said... Unity is called for and demanded by Jesus, and a huge question all Christians must face is how to seek the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace while not forsaking what the Word of God says. Romans 14 is a tremendously important passage for us in this regard, urging believers to only draw lines of separation over clear Bible commands and truths and not over doubtful matters or opinions. So let's go read Matthew 12 and see what Jesus has to say about compromise, and also pay attention for Jesus' reference to Beelzebul, because we are going to discuss in a moment whether or not Beelzebub, or Beelzebul, same word, or probably same word, is the same entity as Satan. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. At that time, Jesus passed through the grain fields on the Sabbath, His disciples were hungry and began to pick and eat some of the heads of grain. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, See, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Haven't you read what David did when he and those who were with him were hungry? How he entered the house of God and they ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him or for those with him to eat, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that on Sabbath days the priests in the temple violate the Sabbath and are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Moving on from there, he entered their synagogue. Then he saw a man who had a shriveled hand, and in order to accuse him, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And he replied to them, Who among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? A person is worth far more than a sheep, so it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Then he told the man, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was restored as good as the other, But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him.
how they might kill him. Jesus was aware of this and withdrew. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them all. He warned them not to make him known, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not argue or shout, and no one will hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. The nations will put their hope in his name. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak was brought to him. He healed him so that the man could both speak and see. All the crowds were astounded and said, Could this be the son of David? When the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man drives out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. Knowing their thoughts, he told them, Every kingdom divided itself against itself is headed for destruction, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons drive them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and steal his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I tell you, people will be forgiven every sin and blasphemy, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the one to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit will be good, or make the tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil person produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, We want to see a sign from you. He answered them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at Jonah's preaching, and look. Something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and look, something greater than Solomon is here. When an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it roams through waterless places looking for rest but doesn't find any. Then it says, I'll go back to my house that I came from. Returning, it finds the house vacant, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and settle down there. As a result, that person's last condition is worse than his first. That's how it will also be with this evil generation. While he was still speaking with the crowds, his mother and brothers were standing outside wanting to speak with him. Someone told him, Look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to the one who was speaking to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, brother, and sister. 
So let's start with our side question. Is Beelzebul or Beelzebub Satan? Well, it's a pretty good question, and I have a fairly lame answer, I'm afraid, and that answer is maybe so. Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies. Beelzebul means Lord of the Skies or the Heavenly Realms. Both, generally speaking, refer to the same entity. In fact, the Testament of Solomon, which is a early non-scripture pseudo-epigraphic text that was not written by Solomon, but is very old, uh, written around the same time as the New Testament, maybe a little bit after that, first or second century or so, presents Beelzebul as the prince of the demons and says he was formerly a leading heavenly angel who was associated with the star Hesperus and the star, uh, the planet Venus. Um, and seemingly in that passage, Beelzebul and Lucifer are the same person. Well, the Bible in 2 Kings 1.1 in the Old Testament also mentions Beelzebul, where it says, After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Ahaziah had fallen through the latticed window of his upper room in Samaria and was injured, so he sent messengers instructing them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, if I will recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Go and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says, You will not get up from your sick bed. You will certainly die. Then Elijah left. So the name also appears in Luke 11, where we can see sort of the clearest connection between Beelzebul and Satan. Luke eleven fourteen. Now he was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon came out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, He drives out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And others, as a test, were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is headed for destruction, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say, I drive out demons by Beelzebul. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, who is it your sons drive them out by? For this reason, they will be your judges. If I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So the Matthew passage and the Luke passage are very similar. And we see in there that Jesus mentions Satan and Beelzebul in the same context, but not in a way that 100% certain indicates they are the same entities. I almost imagine that Jesus would not have used them in quite that way if they were the same entities. So that's just a guess, though. And my best guess is that Beelzebul is a separate entity from Satan, uh, being as how he's listed in the Old Testament as the god of Ekron. But I confess that I don't know for sure. And my guess is based on the fact that the Bible never clearly identifies the two as the same entity. And this would sort of line up with the... Michael Heiser premise of there being uh, quite a few Elohims with a little g that are have rebelled against God and Beelzebul might be one of those Elohims with the little g. Uh, so main question: Can a divided house stand? The answer is, of course, no. I'm deeply worried about my country, the United States of America. I know we have a lot of listeners from around the world, uh, but in case you're not keeping up with the news, our country, the U.S. is 
so divided right now. In fact, it's the most divided I've ever seen it in my entire life. We're divided on political issues, divided on race issues, divided on pandemic response, and so many other things. Now, I am not surprised that the world is that way. It grieves me, though, that the people of Jesus are that way. I belong to several online Facebook groups uh, that have many Christians in them, some of them. And on it, it just it saddens me. It breaks my heart to see brothers and sisters who appear to be genuine Christians just argue and bicker and act like jerks over these kind of issues, issues where the Bible doesn't give us direct and obvious commands. And so I see Christians all the time on social media, online, arguing and fighting and fussing just like people of the word. We must not be like people of the world in that regard. Now, I'm not saying that we should compromise over issues of clear biblical truths, but one of the biggest arguments right now back and forth is you know, should, should you wear a mask? And I've seen so many Christians act like jerks about it. I really own both sides of it. And uh, I definitely think we should be wearing a mask right now. Even if you aren't, you know, nobody has disproved the experts. It's possible the experts might be right. So it's definitely the most loving thing you can do to your neighbor. It's definitely a biblical thing to sacrifice my liberties for somebody else. But look, I'm not making an argument for masks now. I'm just saying I've seen people act like super jerks about it. And it's not like the Bible says, thou shalt wear a mask when the government tells you, or thou shalt resist wearing a mask when the government tells you. Well, we need to be charitable, kind, godly, remembering that Jesus told us that a house divided is going to fall. We can't be in disunity with each other and acting like jerks towards each other and expect the house of God to be undivided. So here's a couple of powerful thoughts from Spurgeon on divided houses and divided churches. Spurgeon says, The church is a permanent and important institution founded on a rock built with art and arranged with wisdom. In a church, one of the most delightful conditions is the compactness of unity. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. A church should be one in creed and one in heart, one in testimony and one in service, one in aspiration and one in sympathy. They greatly injure our Jerusalem who would build dividing walls within her. She needs compacting, not dividing. There's no joy in going up to a church which is torn apart with internal dissension. The gladness of holy people is aroused by the adhesiveness of love, the unity of life. It would be their sadness if they saw the church to be a house divided against itself. Some bodies of Christians appear to be periodically blown to fragments, and no gracious person is glad to be in the way when the explosions take place. One other thing Spurgeon said along this lines is a different sermon. He said, It has long been my joy, beloved in the Lord, that our heart has not been divided. We have walked together these many years in holy fellowship and, and imperfect as we are, yet there have not been divisions among us. There has been no division about doctrine. We have agreed upon the great truths of God. There has been, I believe, no division about who shall be greatest. We have been content, each one, to occupy his place in the church and to work on. It is not our goodness that has made it so. It is only the power of God's Spirit which has kept us, who otherwise might readily have been sundered, kept us as the heart of one man in sacred unity. 
Oh, let it always be so. Let it always be so. May these eyes be closed in the darkness of death long before I shall see you contending the one against the other. If it should ever happen that I should be unfit to go in and out among you to your edification, may I be laid aside in some other founder around whom you may rally as one man, that by any means and every means the church may be kept in its integrity, one in heart, a threefold cord which cannot be broken. Let each man endeavor to avoid giving offense to his brother. Let us all be members unto edification of the same one Lord, one faith, one baptism. May the same Spirit abide in us and work with us to God's glory. For we well know that a divided church is found faulty. It is faulty so far as anything like usefulness is concerned. The strength that is spent in division is so much taken away from service. When the children of God use their swords against one another, they are not using them against the adversaries of the Lord. May our strength never be spent in division. A house divided against itself must come to naught, but strong in the unity which God shall give us, may we not be found faulty. Amen. Those are powerful, powerful words from Spurgeon. Closing pair of commands from the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 says, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. One more. And hearing this one, realize that one of the first signs that the people of God are being worldly, according to the Apostle Paul, is disunity, bickering, arguing, and division. 1 Corinthians 3, 1-4. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, Are you not mere human beings? Powerful truths. May we be more than mere human beings. Joshua chapter 4 verse 1. After the entire nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, choose twelve men from the people, one man for each tribe, and command them. Take twelve stones from this place in the middle of the Jordan where the priests are standing, carry them with you, and set them down at the place where you spend the night. So Joshua summoned the twelve men he had selected from the Israelites, one man for each tribe, and said to them, Go across the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you lift a stone under his shoulder, one for each of the Israelite tribes, so that this will be a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean to you? You should tell them the water of the Jordan was cut off in front of the ark of the Lord's covenant. When it crossed the Jordan, the Jordan's water was cut off. Therefore, These stones will always be a memorial for the Israelites. The Israelites did just as Joshua had commanded them. The twelve men took stones from the middle of the Jordan, one for each of the Israelite tribes, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the camp and set them down there. Joshua also set up twelve stones in the middle of the Jordan where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. The stones are still there today. The priests carrying the Ark continued standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to tell the people in keeping with all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people hurried across, and after everyone had finished crossing, the priests with the ark of the Lord crossed in the sight of the people. The Reubenites, Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh went in battle formation in front of the Israelites as Moses had instructed them. 
about 40,000 equipped for war crossed to the plains of Jericho in the Lord's presence. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they revered him throughout his life as they had revered Moses. The Lord told, told Joshua, command the priests who carry the Ark of the Testimony to come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, come up from the Jordan. When the priests carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came up from the middle of the Jordan and their feet stepped out on solid ground, the water of the Jordan resumed its course, flowing over all the banks as before. The people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern limits of Jericho. Then Joshua set up in Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken away from the Jordan, and he said to the Israelites, In the future, when your children ask their fathers, What is the meaning of these stones? You should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. This is so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is strong, and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. Psalm chapter 129 verse 1. Since my youth they have often attacked me. Let Israel say, since my youth they have often attacked me, but they have not prevailed against me. Plowmen plowed over my back. They made their furrows long. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the ropes of the wicked. Let all who hate Zion be driven back in disgrace. Let them be like grass on the rooftops, which withers before it grows up and can't even fill the hands of the reaper or the arms of the one who binds sheaves. Then none who pass by will say, May the Lord's blessing be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Psalm 130 verse 1. Out of the depths I call to you, Lord. Lord, listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for help. Lord, if you kept an account of iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for there is faithful love with the Lord, and with him is redemption in abundance, and he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Psalm 131, verse 1. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I do not get involved with things too great or too wondrous for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 1. If only you would tear the heavens open and come down so that the mountains would quake at your presence, just as fire kindles brushwood and fire boils water to make your name known to your enemies so that the nations would tremble at your presence. When you did awesome works that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains quaked at your presence. From ancient times no one has heard, no one has listened to, no eye has seen any God except you who acts on behalf of the one who waits for him. You welcome the one who joyfully does what is right. They remember you in your ways, but we have sinned and you are angry. How can we be saved if we remain in our sins? All of us have become like something unclean, and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. No one calls on your name, striving to take hold of you, 
For you have hidden your face from us and made us melt because of our iniquity. Yet, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hands. Lord, do not be terribly angry or remember our iniquity forever. Please look. All of us are your people. Your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful temple where our ancestors praised you has been burned down, and all that was dear to us lies in ruins. Lord, after this, will you restrain yourself? Will you keep silent and afflict us severely? Amen. Blessed be the Lord. May he rescue us, friends. May he deliver us from this pandemic and every other attack that's out there. May he prosper you and bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and Godspeed.